During my first four months hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail, I enjoyed a constant sense of discovery and exploration. Every bend of the trail promised a new place I had never seen, and every trail town was a brand new experience. When I finally reached northern Oregon, where I've lived for 18 years and done plenty of hiking, that sense of discovery was gone. But the Cascade Mountains and the temperate rainforests of the Pacific Northwest are always beautiful, and I still enjoyed every minute of my journey along familiar trail. This is Ratatouille, and you're listening to Trailside Radio. perfect window because people behind us got closed out by the fire people ahead of us were smoked out and we had a yeah quite the thrilling day talking to tourists <laughs> overall all the sponsor feedback was good attendees seemed to have had a great time and now that we have our rain event out of the way it's going to be 77 and sunny next year <laughs> I, I hope so i hope so the hike for me was, I mean, it was amazing and it was kind of everything that I wanted it to be. I wanted um, a time to have a lot of space for myself to just reflect and think and clear out my head. New York City was too much for me on so many levels. It was too much stimulation constantly and uh, the PCT has been a space where I can really empty out and calm down and recenter myself. Welcome back to Trailside Radio. Uh, This week we're picking up where we left off two episodes ago, as last week's episode was devoted to a wonderful conversation I got to have with Heather Anish Anderson, mere days after she finished her self-supported fastest-known hike of the Appalachian Trail. If you missed that episode, do yourself a favor and check it out. Uh, Episode 18 left us at the Shelter Cove Resort where my mother met me with supplies and encouragement. Uh, It was really good to see her, especially after the difficult week I had, when uh, fatigue finally caught up to me, culminating in my literal collapse at Mazama Village by Crater Lake, ending my attempt at hiking the entire Oregon section of the PCT in two weeks. I was, however, still determined to attend the PCT Days event, in Cascade Locks at the end of August. Uh, Having long ago given up on my goal of hiking the entire PCT this year, I got my mother to drive me far enough north that I would easily be able to reach Cascade Locks on time. Uh, We camped together for a couple nights before I got back on trail. My hike through northern Oregon was relatively uneventful. I started paying more attention to my physical needs, which I should have done much earlier, I eased up on my mileage and started eating and sleeping more. I met lots of thru-hikers I hadn't encountered before, and also reunited with people I hadn't seen since Southern California. I made it to PCT Days, where I had hoped to get a lot of interviews, as I did at the kickoff back in April. Unfortunately, the weather had other ideas. When it wasn't extremely windy, it was raining, and when it wasn't raining, it was windy. 
Neither situation is conducive for conducting outdoor interviews, so I eventually abandoned the idea of gathering interviews and allowed myself to just relax and enjoy connecting with all the thru-hikers in attendance, including many people uh, with whom I had developed close friendships on the trail, uh, but not seen in weeks or even months. Cascade Locks is a small town on the northern edge of Oregon along the Columbia River, where the PCT crosses the Bridge of the Gods into Washington State. Uh, My local hikes over the years have often brought me through this town, but it was a totally different experience to be there with so many other hikers. Uh, After PCT days ended, I spent a couple days in Portland before returning to the trail in Washington. In this episode, we're going to hear from a few hikers I met for the first time in Oregon. I also talked with the main organizer of PCT Days, the one and only neighbor Jay. He shared some insight into that event and what goes into making it happen. Last but not least, I got to sit down in Portland with a hiker named Properly Chill, who I had met and hiked with in California She had a really unique experience in Oregon, getting involved in a project called Hike the Pipe, raising awareness about a proposed natural gas pipeline that may soon cut across southern Oregon. Uh, We'll hear her talk about that, as well as her overall experience on the PCT. But let's get started with a conversation I had with three PCT hikers as we took an afternoon break on the trail just north of Mount Hood. I'm Speaker Box or Alan. My name's Primo. And I'm Sheepwagon. How long have you guys been on the PCT? A little over four months. No, going on four months. Since April 4th. So four and a half months? Five, mm-hmm. Almost five months? No. Yeah, about five months maybe. And early April for me too. Early April. Right on. How has Oregon been for you guys? Surprising, but awesome. Just in between volcanic mountains. An incredible relief. <laughs> so flat, or mostly so flat. Relatively flat. I felt like Com- I felt like Southern Oregon was pretty flat, and then it kind of got a little more up and down as we got further north. But overall, it was almost like a break. Yeah. California, like kicked my ass and then Oregon was there to kind of like soothe everything out a little bit (laughs) what's been your favorite part of the trip so far oh I was in uh, Yosemite and my friend and I he convinced me to sleep on top of clouds of rest looking above half dome and and both the valleys to the left and right and that was yeah Yosemite Valley is right down there so we slept on top of there and that was awesome saw the sunset sunrise Man, there's so many. There's, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a week ago, but I was yeah. on top of Mount Whitney from like 8 a.m. to 11.30, beautiful weather. And That's right, because you went back down to pick up the Sierra, right? Yeah, so the flip-flop had me on uh, top of Mount Whitney in late August in fantastic weather. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get through um, the Crater Lake area before the fire hit and the trail closure came into place? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we... Uh... <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it was for my uh, birthday, but yeah, we uh, 
tripped a little and walked the rim trail, and there was huge fire burning. And we got in perfect window because people behind us got closed up by the yeah, fire. People ahead of us were smoked out, and we had a yeah quite the thrilling day talking to tourists. <laughs> <laughs> Just try, trying to act like awkward hikers, like uh, not looking at your face. I had, I had no idea there were going to be so many people along the rim. Sorry I've been in the woods for so long. I've forgotten how to interact yeah. with yeah. regular people. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what Speakerbox was saying. He was yeah. just like, you know, if anything, they'll just think we're kind of awkward hikers that have been out in the woods for too long and kind of forgot, like, you mm-hmm. know, basic human interaction. <laughs> While I'm, like, looking at some of these guys' faces and they're kind of just like... Doing that funny blur, and I'm like, oh, I can't look at your face. <laughs> but yeah, we sat. At one point, we like got out of all the construction and all the car pull-offs, and sat in the woods on this little hill and like looked out at the fire. And there was just like this little heart. To me, I was like looking. Mm-hmm. I saw this little heart where it looked like it was burning the hottest, and you could almost see it like moving, like with the wind. The wind kind of pushing it in different directions. And who knows, I could have just been... It was mesmerizing. <laughs> but I was also still tripping, so... It just been my imagination. What's been the toughest part of the hike for you? Coping with personal injury, physical injury. It's probably been the hardest part. I personally don't think any of the hiking is like, has been like incredibly difficult. Like There's been some big days, for sure, where I feel really tired, but... I think, like, injuring myself early on in the trail, like, I've just had to, like, constantly have this, like, mental game going on of dealing with that, which was, like, has been really hard, but kind of before getting into the Sierras, I got to this point where I was able to, like, move past that and and really enjoy everything a lot more. And for me, it's probably losing the flow because I skipped over the Sierras in late May to, um, Donner Pass, like a little bit north of Lake Tahoe, and it just never really got into like uh, fluidity anymore, because I southbound at like 700 miles and was on my own for quite a bit of it. It's good to be back in Oregon going the right way with old <laughs> friends. With the crew. Uh, hardest part for me, I don't really, not, doesn't really go hand in hand with weather-wise. We've had some like, I got a, caught in a bad hailstorm outside of South Lake Tahoe, but I think it's just the... The, the mind game or the the mental stress, I guess, if the trail can have any on you, just repetitive monotony. Anybody taking some good trail zeros? <laughs> yeah, we went to Vegas with a, a minivan <laughs> packed full of eight hikers for like two days. Stayed at a suite in the Venetian, like packed eight people into like a four person <laughs> suite. <laughs> Spent like, yeah, we were there for two nights. <laughs> It was when those storms came through, when, was that in mid-May, late May? Early May, I think, early-ish, late May. I can't even remember when that was. Early-middle May. There were those storms that were coming through, and so, yeah, we, eight of us preemptively were like, let's go to Vegas. There was this one guy, Fuego. Fuego really, like, organized it all, and, like, got everybody, like you you said the other day, she and he was, like, herding cats, like getting everybody into the van in, like, two Vegas. <laughs> it was pretty outrageous. How about any on-trail zeros? Oh, on-trail zeros, right. I think technically, it, yeah, it was on-trail, but the Belden Rave. <laughs> yeah. Was, Wait, which one? Uh, the 17th. The 17th? Yeah. 
that one. It was on trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It was ridiculous. Just walking down into that. The way they said it, it was like happens ever so often, so I thought it was like a small community thing. There were at least several hundred, I don't know quite the number, but several hundred people there. Yeah. As I was telling you guys, the uh, the pictures of it are so funny because it's just like find the hiker in the sea of people who are dancing. There's just one crazy, weird, weird bearded out guy. With just fucking like crazy eyes. Experiencing <laughs> the most like, <laughs> shock ever. <laughs> like, where is he at right now? I meant to take an on-trail zero in the Sierras, and I ended up just, like, having these these schedules I put myself on to meet, like, my sister and a friend, mm-hmm. and so I, I never ended up doing that, which I kind of regret, but Belden, yeah, I went, I was there for this music festival, Priceless, where it was, like, a thousand people from San Francisco kind of brought over and dropped in Belden for a weekend, and, uh... Yeah, it was it was an outrageous time. It was pretty fucking overwhelming <laughs> at first, but yeah, there's a good there's about a dozen, maybe fifteen of us that all hiked in on that day. Yeah, I hiked in during the middle of the Still Dream Festival, and I could hear that bass from about four or five miles up the trail. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're coming down like, what is that? <laughs> one one guy I knew, most hikers that I knew were making a point of getting up there in time for it, and were already there. Uh huh. But one guy that I knew apparently hadn't even heard about the festival and passed me just as we were getting there. I'm like, what is going on down there? I'm like, really? You're in for a surprise. <laughs> That's what's crazy about it, too, is that the trail is literally, it goes down the road right in front of the restaurant. Yeah. And so there's no way to avoid it. Right through even the Even if you want to. <laughs> yeah. I took an on-trail zero just north of Walker Pass at a... I forget the name of it, but we called it Uranium Springs. Oh, that's right! Yeah, with mm-hmm. Shepard and Fuego. And uh, Shepard intentionally dehydrated himself so that he didn't have to get off of his mat for like 23 hours. Okay. His inflatable uh, yeah. Yeah, um, sleeping deal. He intentionally dehydrated himself? He did, like, didn't drink any water and just hung out on his mat for the Maybe. sake of staying horizontal. <laughs> his goal his goal was not dehydration that was just a necessary side effect put. god what a fucking weirdo i'm excited to see him also um he read the entire like D rule book for how to create like a game like a role-playing on trail game mm-hmm. um which the plan was to get like everyone in the Chilhar tribe to start playing because Fancy was really That's into it. Right. He I created was, the whole kingdom and it just didn't work out. I was talking to some guys a couple days ago about that being a really good trail game if you're in with the same bubble for long enough. Uh-huh. It's very, very lightweight. Yeah. And just a fun social game to play. <laughs> I can't believe he dehydrated himself. <laughs> <laughs> he knew that he would have to pee if you drank water so yeah. <laughs> wow oh shit it was more an intentional part of the plan <laughs> yeah oh yeah that was he was story. talking about the plan all day long too <laughs> <laughs> giving us updates it was awesome I'm not gonna move that was the spring was he injured or just really wanted to rest hard he wanted to kick it hard yeah yeah chill hard rest hard yeah the only I way. I met someone on Sonora Pass with uh, the mini version of Settlers of Catan as well. Oh, like I love version. that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right, y'all. Thank you very much. I think it's time to hit the trail. Yeah. We still got some miles to do before Cascade Locks. Yeah, we do. Some rain to avoid, potentially. Oh, yeah. And an event to get to, definitely. And some beer to drink. And some people to see. Cheers, y'all. Long lost trail friends. My name's Bambi. How long have you been on the trail? Uh, two months. And how much, where did you start? I started in Truckee, California. What inspired you to hike on the PCT? Uh, I saw a documentary called Mile, Mile and a Half. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, and it was on the JMT, and I didn't realize that the JMT was part of the PCT. And then I found out what the PCT was, and then I put them together, and I was like, holy shit, I gotta do this. That all happened in like one month. And I was like, you know what? It's fate, I gotta, gotta go hike that this year. So, put my ticket and all my shit. Where are you from? Uh, from England, from London. And you only had, so you had less than a month to plan it? Uh, so I, no, I decided this in March. So, like three months. How many miles have you done? Uh, altogether I've hiked 600 miles. And then I had to get off at Crater Lake because uh, of injuries and stuff and hitch up to Cascade Locks. So. How was PCT days for you? <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, it's been, it's been really beautiful. A fun time. Yeah, a really fun time. Seeing everybody that you haven't seen in a really long time. Mm -hmm. So, and you're done with your hiking for the season? I'm done, yeah. Got to get my flight back on the 15th of September. Um, what are you going to do until then? I might go to Alaska. Oh, right on. Yeah, I'm going to get a boat from Seattle, out to Alaska, hang out there for a week or something, mm -hmm. do a little bit of hiking. Right on. And then head back to Portland to get my flight. How are you feeling as you get close to the end of the adventure? I don't feel like it's over yet, you know? Okay, yeah. It's just a different adventure, I guess, afterwards. I mean, I don't want to go back home, but I'm not going back for a long time now. Everybody around us is hitting the trail right now. <laughs> the yeah, hikers just swooped into their bags. Uh, Y'all going north? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not going anywhere yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your favorite part of hiking on the PCT? Um, I guess, like, really meant, like, mentally and physically challenging myself has been... I guess not a favorite part, but like a really rewarding thing. Um, but also just meeting all the people, they're so beautiful. I think that's been one of my favorite things, just coming into town, even meeting people on trail, setting up camp fire and stuff, just hanging out. What's been the most challenging part? My brain. Just like, yeah, just everything in my head. God. But like thinking so many thoughts and then you have nothing else to think about yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're just walking for, the, I don't know, um, it got to a point where I was just walking for no yeah, cause, I guess. Yeah, sure I just kind of yeah. forgot why I was walking and I had no motivation. Yeah, like the demotivation of just, well, there's nothing left to think about, I guess, that was really tough. You have a musical instrument with you, right? Yeah. What is this thing? It's a tarango. It's a Peruvian ukulele. Okay, yeah. yeah. You handed it to me down at uh, yeah. Shelter Cove, and I had no idea how yeah. to even try to get it in tune. 
Yeah, it's 10 strings. It's beautiful. Is that something you've played for a long time? Uh, this isn't mine. This is my buddy Freeloaders. She gave it to me because she didn't want to carry it. So. Okay, that's similar yeah. to how I got my ukulele on the trail. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Have you learned to play it at all? Uh, I can play one thing. Not very well. But no, not really. Okay. Yeah. Have you spent time playing with it though? It been... Not so much. Oh, okay. Just... It's just been dead weight on your pack. Well, yeah, because like... Me and, awesome. me and my buddy Free Lola lived, to, lived together in London, so I guess I played with it a little bit, so I know what it sounds like, and I know I can't play it, so I'm gonna bother. Yeah. So you're still determined to carry it? Yep. I don't want to, but I have to. Oh. <laughs> I got no choice. Are you obligated to give it back to Free Lola at some yeah, point? Yeah, she's gonna get that back tomorrow. Okay. Give that to her. That was, yeah. a, so that was a burden to be. Mm -hmm be stuck with. Feel that extra weight. <laughs> God damn it. What was your favorite part of the miles you hiked? Is there a section or a I think it place? was section M in California where it was just so beautiful like you're so high up and then and then you're just looking at all these different little lakes and things just oh, placed everywhere along the trail. It was just so pretty. Like that was my favorite. And I also had my iPod as well, so that was really nice. I was listening to some music while hiking. Yeah, no, it was just so beautiful and green as well. And that that was coming down to Belden, where you just felt like you were on top of the world, just running down those hills. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. That was just so beautiful. If you were to do a trip like this again, is there anything you would plan differently? Is there anything you would do differently, knowing what you've learned in this adventure? Don't. Hike with stoners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that can be challenging. Yeah, the it really can be. They really slowed me back down, man. Like, um, there's there's plenty of people on the PCT who don't use marijuana, but there are also plenty who yes, do. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, I was hiking with people who were stopping, like, every three miles to smoke a bowl. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was really hard, because then... And obviously I was smoking cigarettes all the time. Yeah, don't do, don't, yeah, smoking cigarettes. That's what I've learned. Don't do that. Because it's really fucking tough to hike. Um, I mean, there's loads of things I think I would do differently. I'd also, I mean, really choose, like you really have to choose your partner who you want to hike with. I don't know, I don't think me and Freeloader are like good hiking buddies. Like, I think we're good, because we traveled together before, I think we're good traveling buddies, just not hiking buddies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, even a slight difference in pace. Uh-huh, yeah, definitely. Dude, she's like a fucking bullet. She's gone. Yeah. It would be tough to be in either the fast one or the slow one. Mm-hmm. I'm the slow one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. usually the slow one in my bubbles myself. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Best of luck in the rest of your adventure. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you. Have fun in Alaska. I'm Jason. Like Kunis, my trail name is Neighbor Jay. I hiked the PCT in 2005, and uh, shortly after the hiking the PCT in 2007, I had come out to make Portland, Oregon home, um, relocating from the East Coast, and uh, started um, working on an event uh, that is now named Pacific Crest Trail Days. And here we are um, in 2015, having completed the ninth annual event and uh, next year will be our 10 year anniversary which will take place in Cascade Locks August 19th through the 21st. 
I had a great time this year from uh, at PCT Days. From an organizer standpoint, how do you feel the event went? Uh, thank you, by the way. Uh, it went great. And I think as we were looking at the weather reports and probability of rain, everybody, we had a preconceived notion that the event schedule would be abbreviated to accommodate the, the rains that did wind up coming on Saturday. And so it didn't ruin the event by any means, but with all the work and effort that was put out, we didn't see the true potential of attendance, which we expected to be around the 2,500 mark. Sure. Uh, and we did wind up having about 1,500 in attendance, um, which was up 300 people from last year's mark of 1,200. So all in all, it went very well. Um, there were a lot of issues that behind the scenes were taken care of. The general public never caught wind of it. It was just simple stuff like sponsors needing stakes and extra rope to secure tents and stuff. And there were a lot of people going to hardware stores in Hood River. There's a lot of things with an event people don't see happen. Oh, sure. They yeah. just show up and they, they're they so enamored by hugging the hiker they haven't seen in a while or, you know, checking out the new um, pack from Osprey. Or, so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of stuff that we had to uh, adjust in our schedule to accommodate. But overall... All the sponsor feedback was good. Attendees seemed to have had a great time. And now that we have our rain event out of the way, it's going to be 77 and sunny next year. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. So um, this was my first year attending as a you know, current year through hiker, or, or mostly through hiker since I didn't do all the miles. I sort of perceived there being two sides to the event sort of two contingencies, almost like there were two PCT days going on side by side, and I'm curious your take on this. One, one side is a lot of the um, uh, newer hikers, people who are just getting into it and are there to, to visit vendor booths and take some workshops, and then the other contingency is all of the, the current year hikers, who, uh, where it sort of serves as a reunion, yep. Yep. Uh, one last gathering on the trail, maybe a last chance to see some of your new best friends. Sure before you all go back home to different states and different countries and, uh, and, a, and a bit more of a, of a party scene. And there's almost, almost like two separate events going on there because these different groups of people have, are there for much different reasons. And, uh, and I feel like both groups are really well accommodated. As an organizer, do you, do you in, in see it that way at all? Or, or how do you yeah, look at Yeah, yeah. So the identity of PCT Days is twofold in that we try to make it an event like you, you just touched uh, base on we, it's an event that we promote outdoor recreation as a whole with an emphasis of camping, hiking, and backpacking activities. And in doing that, we're there to host educational classes, which are all free, but also have featured products from sponsors that people can check out, uh, ranging from the most of ultralight, unique gears from maybe a startup or somebody established to the familiar name of a Gregory or an Osprey or somebody. Um, as far as our outreach goes, you know, an, an event has an identity and you have to promote that identity some way. And so how do you do it? Well, it's an automatic that the thru-hiker is going to come. They hear the word PCT days, I'm there. You know what I mean? We, we had a record number of thru-hikers this year, I think because it was a tough year for them with the fire closures and people were scattered about. Some people had just quit. Some people had finished early. Uh, low snowpack, uh, earlier start dates had people finished much earlier. So... The entire Thunder Island was just covered in thru-hikers. We never saw anything like it. And maybe we won't ever see anything like it because of those things that I just cited. However, I do see that there was a shift this year, especially in a reunion sense, that the thru-hikers amongst themselves talked about this and said, hey, this is a great location. And with so many of them living in the Pacific Northwest, 
um, versus Southern California, it seems that there's there's a lean where PCT days might take on a reunion sense, kind of how the kickoff operates in a little bit of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah. going back to the identity of the event, this thing sh- was shaped organically through a process of just letting things fall into place. And over the years, by my g- getting better as an event director and seeking consult from agencies and learning the, the advertising side of the business for the sponsors, I'm able to, I think, host a pretty cool event in that First of all, it's free to attend. Everybody likes that. And yes, camping does have a fee. And for the first time this year, we implemented that because the landowner of the Port of Cascade Locks uh, started charging the event uh, rates for usage of not just the property as a whole, but individual buildings, renting all the tables and chairs. People don't see these behind-the-scenes costs. And we have to get it from somewhere. So luckily, the rate can be be, um, priced so that it's still lower than any night in any Oregon State Park. All that goes to taking care of the event costs. Yeah. And you uh, still still made the camping was available free to the current year through hikers. Current three, yeah, and uh, it was $10 a night um, or $20 for the whole weekend. Um, and we'll most likely repeat the pattern for next year, and it will remain free. Um, I don't ever see a reason to, to make an admission uh, or even charge for parking at this event. Um, and where the other costs are taken care of are from the sponsor rates. And the only other side of... The revenue uh, component is the raffle, um, which we have uh, now instead of one huge long raffle, we have a couple raffles that are spaced out, and all that revenue gets split between the All the West organization and the PCTA. Is the PCT Days officially affiliated with either of those groups, or do you operate totally independent? Totally independent. My business, Outdoor Viewfinder, is the producer of the event. And every event, whether it's a concert or what have you, has some, it's standard that there's a producer. And then that the producer might have just one or a few people running stuff. I mean, I pretty much handle everything from making sure there's enough porta potties to programming the activities, uh, sponsor outreach, everything. It's a it's pretty much a full time job, nine and a half, ten months out of the year to make all this come together. So yeah, I am independent of both organizations. However, we look at our relationships as partnerships. Sure. And so. Um, as you'll see if you look in Communicator or in some of the sources of uh, media that the PCTA hosts or all the West, you'll see Outdoor Viewfinder's name listed as a partner. Yeah, and it's a great relationship model. Um, everybody's happy with, with where things are, and we all work together outside the event to cross-promote each other and our causes. I imagine one of the biggest challenges of organizing the event is the fact that you have hundreds of current year through hikers um, towards the end of their adventure, some of them even having just finished. And uh, many hikers are known to, uh, to be able to party a little bit hard. And there uh, was certainly a lot of that going on. And I think it's great that you do provide some space for that to happen. But I imagine that uh, sometimes there might be some challenges in making sure things don't get too out of control. Or have you... Yeah, yeah. How, how so, does that go for you? So in your, many years ago, it was a much more loose event and a little bit more of a party than a pro-grade event as it is now. And we have to maintain an identity and respect to uh, youth and family. So I would cite the event, even though it has a beer garden component, we try to label it as a PG-13 event, you know. Um, Yeah, come have a beer with us and have some fun, but also do that responsibly and respect your neighbor. Like other people are camping there that might not have been there at all, to have a beer or you know they're not they're there just to interact with gear or it could be a family and 
people should respect the fact that if they're camping next to those people that they can't be up at one in the morning hooting and hollering. It's not, it's not the venue for that. Even though I understand the cause for celebration, that can be done elsewhere. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we could have really big problems um, from the site owner with, because of the sound and uh, noise ordinance, which is at 10.30 p.m. Uh, we've pushed the envelope enough now where we've had noise from as late as 11, 12, 1 a.m. at some points, and it just can't continue. Um, and we're not going to boot people away and say, get out of here um, if they're causing noise. But we're going to try and be better at before the event happens and during the daytime hours, encouraging people to be responsible in respect to what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. From from my perspective, it seems like you all do a great job of finding that balance. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty good. It could be better, though. We really shouldn't have, again, groups of 20 people hooting and hollering um, yeah. in, late in the night. I mean, well, yeah, there's another place to do that. And obviously, a lot, a lot of that responsibility falls on individuals who are, who are there and attending. Yeah, and, and it can hurt attendance for yeah. future years. If you were there, you know, not as a hiker, not there to have the beer or what have you, and yeah. you're not sleeping at night, you might not come back. Mm-hmm. And they might tell other people, and they might it might give the event a false identity mm-hmm. you know um although i'm a you know i'm a hiker and i love the hikers they're part of a, a family of, of friends of mine um the pitch of pct days people that have maybe never hiked or they're curious about it and not just hiking but also trail maintenance projects the whole this whole outdoor thing that we love in that camping hiking and backpacking scene and so when your majority of outreach is is to those people the hikers become a minority focus not that they're put down on a lower level. It's just, I don't, we don't need to target the thru-hikers. Like I said earlier, they come automatically. Um, so when you're pushing so hard for these other folks, friends and neighbors of the Pacific Northwest or from afar, it, we need to keep them happy. Yeah. Do you have any uh, special plans for next year for the 10-year anniversary? Yeah, you know, nothing set in stone. I've thrown around the idea of live music, and I know I just talked about a sound and noise ordinance, but it would be done according to that. Um, some huge logistics costs and measures to be taken regarding building a sound stage and things like that. So that's a maybe. One thing I'm working on right now that I can't comment on, but it's going to wow everybody and be a huge online hit. It won't completely go global viral, but it'll be pretty big. And the sponsors are going to freak out because it's going to be huge promotion for them. Um, that'll probably be made public sometime spring or summer. Um, Activities-wise, we're going to repeat a lot of the same things people have seen in the past. Backpackers Get Out More Tour has brought a really good activity where for those people we were just talking about, the newcomers to the, to the uh, community can come and learn about everything from day hiking to multi-day long-distance hiking. Um, of course, there are just you know, general people to talk to at the event, whether they're through hikers or just random people. So community-wise, it's really a good place um, for people to come and, and have that educational component. And all good with the Hiking With Dogs class. Uh, we'll most likely repeat that. That's pretty good. And we might integrate some newer classes, um, depending on schedule allotments and times and things like that. This was a first-time year where we had spe- headline sponsors have a 30-minute unique activity at their booth, which was fun, where people could, at a select time, they would go to the booth and engage in a game or a trivia contest and win gear and it's great. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, keeps the day going along nicely. So yeah, we're, we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel for next year. We're just trying to improve the event logistically and continue uh, keeping this fun into the future. Well, thanks for talking with me. Congratulations on a successful event this year and good luck in the future. Thank you.
My name's Properly Chill. I've been hiking the PCT since Walker Pass, started June 13th. Uh, intention of doing about 1,700 miles on the trail this summer. I quit my job and uh, at a nonprofit in Brooklyn to come out, do this um, out here in large part because I got hit by a car mm. last summer and found that I couldn't take my physical strength for granted. I couldn't even wear a day pack um, for, for several months last year. So I decided it was finally time to take on doing a really long backpacking trip for myself like I'd always planned. So that's what I'm out here doing uh, now and then who knows what after. So so were you doing some physical therapy after that accident? Yeah, uh, OT, uh, occupational therapy, like uh, recovering strength in my, my hands and fingers, which were a little um, busted up and just a lot, a lot of like slow walking around Brooklyn where I was living uh, to, to regain strength. So. Did you do anything else in particular to train and get yourself stronger for the PCT? Started carrying my groceries home several miles, <laughs> really constantly, which I kind of do anyhow. I, I bike. Yeah. I mean, that that I got hit on on my bike, um, and you know, was working on regaining like confidence and strength through that. So starting to do longer rides once I felt comfortable being around cars again, and then um, also just doing lots and lots of long walks through Prospect Park. And then as I got closer, I, I went running for the first time, which I've never. I've never done before, really. Uh, so I was really worried about the change in altitude and going from sea level to up high, so trying to do some exercise for, for my lungs. How much hiking experience did you have? Uh, in college, which was about 10 years ago for me, now I was a Girl Scout camp counselor during the summer, so I led backpacking trips for you know girls from age like 11 through 18. So I've done that. I've done short, short trips through, throughout my 20s, but certainly never anything this long. And, and you started at Walker Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you choose Walker Pass as a starting place? Uh, I decided that the desert was not worth it for me. Uh, some of that was just timing. Um, I uh, had a lot of stuff to wrap up. I you know, sold all my positions, dismantled my life in Brooklyn, um, trained the person who took over my job, uh, and was dedicated to staying with the, the nonprofit I worked with um, until that was done. So it really couldn't get out until June, and it just never in my mind occurred to me to go south. Uh, so I just figured out where I felt comfortable um, starting regarding water sources, especially, uh, but making sure I got a little bit of miles on me before hitting the Sierras. Uh, and I have a bunch of friends in L.A. It was a reasonable distance for them to drop me off <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. there. So, How's the hike gone for you so far? The hike for me was, I mean, it was amazing, and it was kind of everything that I wanted it to be. I wanted um, a time to have a lot of space for myself to just reflect and think and clear out my head. New York City was too much for me on so many levels. It was too much stimulation constantly, and uh, the PCT has been a space where I can really empty out and calm down and recenter myself um, I went into like a real tailspin of depression after after the bike crash. Um, I had a concussion, and that's a pretty common side effect. So this has been part of the sort of mental therapy for me in coming back out of that and sort of becoming myself again. And uh, it's been that, and then it's been the wilderness adventure that I wanted as well, right? Um, uh, so... I haven't really had any giant mishaps until uh, I, I got uh, sort of sick from the uh, fire smoke up in Northern California. So it's it's been a really sort of calm adventure in lots of ways. That was really nice. Yeah, we, we encountered each other on the trail a couple times. That was a, a little bit south of there before you got sick. Mm-hmm. 
um, like south, somewhere between uh, Sierra City and Old Station, somewhere in, somewhere in that long Yeah, <laughs> so stretch. somewhere sort of north of Tahoe, because yeah. I think, yeah, Sierra City yeah. there, and I think I saw you in Belden, yeah. too, and yeah. yeah, yeah. It, all, it all runs together. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it seems like it's been a lifetime since I started the trail. Yeah, well, and you've been meeting so many people. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been sticking to myself, so the people I, I remember or, you know, I meet uh, and talk with uh, stick out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. My first hike with anybody where I actually talked and hiked with them was approaching Tahoe, South Lake okay. Tahoe, for a couple hours. Camping next to someone intentionally for the first night was, like, right after that. And then I think I hiked with, like, three or four folks. Uh, you, you were part of that bunch for, like, an hour. Yeah. That, that was my record. Oh, in wow. terms That okay. was my record in terms of social hiking interaction. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Before I got to Oregon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that presumably is, is, how, is how you, you like it and how you wanted it to be. Or you yeah. You made other yeah. choices. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love the, the solitude and the quiet. And the. I know a lot of people talk about getting bored with themselves or like hearing the same thoughts in their heads all the time. And I don't really have that experience. Um, I maybe uh, maybe that's narcissistic. I'm fine to <laughs> spend time with myself. But I also do a lot of things to sort of keep my mind active. I've like memorized poetry while walking on the trail. I'll write down a few lines in the morning and then kind of work on like learning them as I go along. Um, and I'm trying to write and will also sort of work on my own writing in my head and then like stop and jot things down. Um, for like during breaks and stuff and and I take long breaks and relax and read a lot so that <laughs> that works out too yeah so so tell me about what happened after you got sick yeah so up in northern California right um, and lots of people were going through this when the, the smoke from from various fires in California and then also the fire up at Crater Lake was actually sending smoke down um, was just becoming really thick and I was in the I was in the Russian wilderness um, when stuff just like really started to hit me and I was going through one of those burn sections and it just smelled like campfire everywhere and I was stopping like every mile just because my stomach was so like churning with it and after a couple days of that decided to get off Um, ended up getting a hitch all the way up to Ashland decided to recoup there Um, and then I had this really, really great experience. I went to a a yoga class, which was only my like second yoga class, like ever (laughs) in my life. (laughs) So I was like, Oh, let me, let me stretch this out. So I found a, a, a drop in class worked on, um, all of the, the stiff muscles. I, I got blitzed off that yoga class, right? Like people talk about a yoga high. I'd never Mm -hmm. experienced that, but I was like stumbling around the streets of Ashland, just like totally like on this, like, I couldn't really speak very well. I kind of, I came into a coffee shop and they, they asked me, you know, what I wanted to order. And I just stared wide eyed at the, at the menu. And after a few minutes was like, it's okay if I just sit down here. All right. Right. Yeah. I'll just sit down for a minute. (laughs) And, um, and they, they were like, yeah, sure. So anyhow, I come down a little bit. I'm hanging out at Noble Coffee and this woman and I do a double take suddenly when she goes by my table and, uh, you know, we we're trying to figure out how we know one another. And then I realized she actually gave me a ride from Dunsmuir back to Castella, like okay. further down the trail. Um, she'd been uh, part of this like wonderful group of like local business owners and art, like and artists, these women in their 60s who hiked together around no- Northern California. And they were super happy to give me um, a ride back. And so we ended up spending the afternoon together hanging out, running errands. I ran errands with her around Ashland. Um, and we ended up at the recycling center there where there was sort of an old flyer at that point still posted 
to to the wall and I was reading it while she was, you know, dropping off all her recycling bits. And that was a flyer for this event called Hike the Pipe that started on August 22nd. Um, and this is like August 27th at this point, point in time. And it is a project for folks to hike along the entire proposed route of this natural gas pipeline um, that this Canadian cor- corporation, Barrison, wants to put in through southern Oregon. And it would take fracked gas from the Rockies out to the coast for export to Asia. Um, and it would run across 400 waterways, right? So this is... Uh, putting the potential for a leak into 400 waterways across southern Oregon, and it would cross the PCT, um, and they have to clear-cut a 100-foot wide swath around this pipeline anywhere it goes to be able to put it in, right? So we're talking 100-foot clear-cut on the PCT, and then 100-foot clear-cuts on lots of other hiking lands in southern Oregon and on all these, like, uh, families' properties. And then the kicker is, reading further along on this flyer, they're using eminent domain to do that. So these people aren't even getting... Uh, compensated for it. So reading that flyer, just that whole, the whole idea of that project really hit me in the, in the gut. Um, And five seconds later, I'm thinking, wait, I might need to figure out a reroute through Oregon anyhow, because there's the Stouts Creek fire going on. The trail is still closed around Crater Lake. Um, I'm obviously not having a good time hiking through the smoke. I can't do that. What if I did this? But, you know, it's sort of an activist project. I don't know any of the people in it. I'm a little skeptical at first. I decide to take down all the information from the flyer, but sit tight for a day. You could also Um, maybe come out to the PCT to (laughs) to take a break from some of that, too, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I have done um, a lot of different, like, activism from sort of, like, Occupy-style things to... uh, more sort of local politics. The group I was working with in Brooklyn is this thing called the Participatory Budgeting Project, and we help um, provide assistance to communities that want to run a process in which community members directly decide how to spend public money. So we were interact- I was interacting with city council members in New York, helping them do outreach to their constituents to actually do, uh, do budgeting around uh, public like tax you know, tax money, which was, was great. Uh, also draining. Um, and yeah, this was sort of the first time in a while that I'd taken a break from all sorts of projects like that to sort of have my own mental space. You got inspired to take a break from the break. Yeah. Or, or as one hiker said to put an epic adventure inside my epic adventure that was already inside (laughs) an epic adventure. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So, so yeah. you, got, you got some of the basic information from the flyer, and how did you follow up on that? Yeah, I called their I called their press contact, um, talked to her for a little bit. She gave me the number for uh, Alex Harris, who's been sort of the lead coordinator. He's based in Portland here, um, uh, but is, was born in Ashland and, and raised there, and so has a lot of attachment to, to Southern Oregon and was the sort of uh, mastermind behind this. And uh, ended up meeting up with Alex the next day and just got a sense that everybody was that they were all very solid folks, um, that they had good minds for what they were doing, and that they were really in touch with the community members. So it wasn't just like me coming as an outsider into this this project. Um, they they actually already knew the needs of all of the communities along uh, this proposed route in southern Oregon, and they were trying to meet with them more and strengthen their resolve to, to fight, which I think is an important part of a project like this um so just they seem like people who had their you know who have good heads on their shoulders and so i was and i got a lot of questions answered about uh logistics because it's very very different hiking and sort of an organized group with a purpose like this as opposed to what i was doing 
Um, So I think that Sunday, that was the 29th, I ended out uh, at an event that they actually did where the proposed route of the pipeline would cross the Pacific Crest Trail proper. They invited a bunch of folks from from around Ashland to come out and see that. Um, I used the the half-mile app to sort of figure out the exact mile. I think it's Mm 1760.68 is where it would would cross. And it's just, you know, beautiful lush forest there. So, like, you know, you've come out of, like, all the hot stuff in, like, the first bit of southern Oregon and after that bit in northern California. You know, you end up in that lush, sort of super diverse tree, you know, population there. And it would just, yeah, that stuff is going to be clear-cut for for miles and miles around there. But so that was great. I got to meet some of the other hikers there. And then two days later, I joined up with this uh, band of folks to uh, basically divert my route from going north through Oregon to instead hike from uh, Melinda Coos Bay is is the route that that we were doing. Um, So got to go across the Cascades and then across the the coast range and actually out to to the ocean. Um, Uh, How far of a hike was that? So the uh, pipeline is about 232 miles, but we were not on it for, you know, sort of every step of the way. There's a lot of private property. We were on roads. We were actually still, we had to reroute because of, because of the Stouts Creek fire. So we ended up doing about 319 miles. And how many people were involved in that? So different numbers of folks hiked different sections of the trail. There were two other folks who did the whole thing, um, who, who were committed to being there for the whole hike. And then uh, I think our group was up to eight people at, at one point in time. So not huge. For me, it was huge. For me, that was a lot of people to be hiking sure. hiking with. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them, while they've been on small backpacking trips before or, uh, or uh, have camped, were not were not backpackers. So this was a really big challenge for them. And it was a really interesting shift culturally from... Uh, being on the PCT where people think, you know, it's very, very normal to do 25 miles in a day. And folks here were, you know, we were doing uh, 10 miles was a pretty, a pretty standard day. And that was really challenging for folks. And so I got to come in and be someone who was like, we can, we totally got this. We can handle this. Let me teach you how to take care of your blisters. (laughs) You know, I got to sort of provide that voice and comfort for this group. Yeah. Pretty uh, unique role that you're able to take on with your experience. Yeah, it's strange being like the expert backpacker or the expert hiker <laughs> in a situation like, oh, suddenly what I just did for two and a half months has value in the world. That was really funny. You went from being a, a relative beginner <laughs> to being the, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the resident expert. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know the Hike the Pipe organization has been doing some other actions as well. Have you been involved in any of those, or can you talk about any of those? Yeah, so we did, I mean, we did community events all along the way. So the idea of this hike, right, is that here's this pro- here's this energy project, the Jordan Cove Energy Project, that involves both a pipeline and a compression plant and a shipping terminal, right, um, out of Coos Bay, that hurts the environment, hurts communities. And there are people who've been resisting this project for 10 years already. But it's really beginning to get uh, sped up because the Federal Energy Regular, uh, Regulatory Commission is approving the final permits right now. So how do we help these communities really take a stand and feel encouraged at this point in time? We did it by meeting all so many of the folks along the way that are actually directly affected and helping elevate their voice, especially in the press and especially to their elected representatives. So we had community events in lots of the towns, and these were things that varied from like potlucks with really like intense like hippie backwood like redneck hippie redneck farmers. Those things exist in Southern Oregon. They throw the best potlucks ever. (laughs) (laughs) And just making sure they they were up to date on the information 
to um, we rafted along the Rogue River. We the, there's a stretch there where it would cross the Rogue and actually travel along five miles. They basically want to use fracking equipment to drill underneath the Rogue to put this pipeline in. So rafted down the Rogue and then dropped a banner from uh, a bridge over uh, Shady Cove there um, had a lot of community members join us to the final action that we did in uh, Coos Bay at the end of the line it involved you know kayak activists out on on the water with you know giant banners directed towards Cape Brown hundreds of other community members marching across uh, the bridge that crosses the bay there while uh, sort of the hikers all the folks who had been hiking along the way headed out to the cove where the terminal would be built and kind of did the final last three miles of, of the official hike. So lots of press coverage all along the way and local papers, lots of, um, which was really the main thing about telling the story. It wasn't sort of direct action block this route yet, though we met a lot of local residents who were doing that. For instance, someone who bought a mobile home and now has it placed directly across the proposed route. So if uh, the pipeline company comes through, they will actually have to go through dismantling this mobile home and compensate him for it. Um, and it'll you know, basically slow down the thing. So, and We've talked a little bit about it, but what kinds of uh, reactions did you personally see from the local communities along the way? What I thought was really surprising is that I didn't meet anybody who was for this project. And when you're sort of an outsider, coming in, you expect to meet some resistance. You expect, If you're going into restaurants or coffee shops, you're expecting to have some conversations with people where you get backlash. Um, I did not have that at all. Uh, I met people who were really sad because they had spent 16 years restoring a piece of land. They'd removed trash from it and helped, um, you know, put back forest. And there was just like a deep sadness about the fact that uh, that's all going to be threatened by this project, and then deep gratitude uh, to have people calling attention to that. Um, and uh, especially as we got into more populated areas at the end of our hike, it, the amount of hospitality and gratitude, and I've never been given so much free pot in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really smoke it, so yeah. that was really funny. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's worth its weight in gold when you get back on the trail. That's, like, that's as good as money once you hit the PCT. <laughs> Should have thought of that. <laughs> um, you know, we just had, we had uh, a lot of, we had a lot of love given to us for for this and i think you know pct folks are really uh we're used to trail magic we're used to people like giving things to us because um we're doing this thing that's hard but this was people just that felt they you know they thought hiking eight miles was hard and they were they were supportive for that reason but also just because we were actually really doing something that uh helped them uh out of a space of, I think, despair and and um, frustration, uh, and that's that's one of the great things about this project that you have of hiking along this route is that we were able to really bring these communities together and help band them together and give them greater resolve. Um, a lot of them have a lot of resolve already, I think, but but uh, to see that elevated was really really beautiful. And the, the communities and the property owners along the way have not been involved in the decision-making process, and they're not being even 
remotely properly compensated for this right there are going to be they're not going to be receiving the economic benefit from that is that right so most most of them found out about the proposal when they got a letter from uh the pipeline company telling them oh we're going to be coming across your land we're taking so much and this is the amount that we want to offer you um in some cases i've seen some of these offer letters they're like it'll be like two thousand dollars for eight close to eight acres uh, uh, of land um, and basically like take this offer or we just seize your land through eminent domain and you get nothing um, and that was the first that many of them had heard about it there have been hearings um, in the past FERC the um, the federal uh, agency that is responsible for issuing the environmental impact statements about projects like these um, you know did some preliminary hearings there have been tons of comments issued but basically at this point, people are expecting FERC to rubber stamp it, despite the fact that their impact statement has been um, noted by many, many groups to be incredibly faulty. It doesn't even talk about the wildfire risk of a project like this. Uh, it doesn't address like how uh, wildfires might increase or the potential for a great explosion if um, if the project goes through. So some of the folks along the line have been involved in that. They've been involved in the FERC process and giving comments and showing up at hearings, but many of them have not otherwise had any potential to participate. Um, and when they did, were given the initial ability to do that, the project was actually billed as an import line, right, where gas would be coming in from Asia. This is almost 10 years ago and actually going to those communities. And the project has since then flipped, and many people were not notified of the flip, that it is now an export project taking fracked gas from the Rockies out of the country, and that, yeah, they will actually see no benefit. So that was the thing we were also able to share as we went along, is like, not only are you getting, you, you, were, you were getting the short shrift before, but now you really are, um, and you might see your utility bills go up to boot. And, uh... When it, whether it comes to legal battles or political lobbying, the communities and property owners along the way have don't have the resources to even begin to yeah. compete with a corporation. Right, which like is one of the, the major problems in our political system, and we've been trying to call attention to that. Right, this is a much bigger like systemic issue that isn't just about this one fight. Um, part of why I wanted to be involved is that a fight like this doesn't just affect these communities in Southern Oregon, it affects us all, right? To have the precedent set, especially of eminent domain used for the profits of not even a U.S. corporation, right, of a Canadian corporation, um, to be able to have your belongings, your livelihood taken from you to benefit the, like, shareholders of a corporation, that, to have that precedent set is going to affect all of us. So that was part of why I cared about this project so deeply. Um, there are community organizations that are doing some, of, will be doing some of those lawsuits and are doing the lobbying. I actually reached out to the Pacific Crest Trail Association to see what they were doing. Um, I thought, hey, that's a great, that's a thing that I can do to help help these folks out. And it turns out, I spoke to their southern regional representative, um, Ian Nelson, and the PCTA has been aware of this, and they've just been wor- working on visual mitigation, which means that they're really only concerned that we hikers don't have to see the nastiness of the clear cut that's actually right there, which to me is really disappointing. There's actually a safety risk that I think is there for future PCT hikers, right? Like uh, just having experienced that smoke, you know, so many of us went through that, right? If 
there's a leak down the pipeline. It doesn't have to be right where it crosses the PCT, right? And there's a bigger fire that starts anywhere else in, in that region, right? We're going to be dealing with that. We're going to be dealing with the smoke. We're going to be dealing with route closures. Um, that is just going to be magnified. And the, we just we know pipelines leak. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And the PCTA doesn't seem to care about the safety risk. They're really, really just focused on uh, the visual mitigation. Like I was told that, hey, most folks are only going to be in that exact spot for a moment of, of seconds, right, stepping over where it crosses. So it's not a big deal. I think that's a little short-sighted. But If people listening want to learn more about this and perhaps even uh, get involved, how should they follow up? Where, where, where can they go? Okay. Well, there's a lot of easy things. If you're a Facebook person, you can find the project Hike the Pipe. Um, and what's amazing there is there's just a huge bank of photos. And you'll see all you'll see a lot of the wildlife that we saw, the beautiful coast range and the Cascade Range photos and things like that. So you can see the actual land that would be affected by this. But then there are also details on the project itself and lots of links, lots of links there. And the key thing uh, that we're asking folks to do right now, um, the governor of Oregon actually has the ability to stop the pipeline flat out. She can ask the two state agencies that will issue the final permits, ask them to not do that, to do more thorough reviews. She also has the ability to sue on behalf of the people against this project and to stop it in that way. At this point in time, she's not even come out for uh, liquefied natural gas projects or against them at all. So she's about to uh, run for re-election next year and um, has been pretty mum on on these projects right now. So we're trying to put a lot of pressure on her and folks can just uh, give her a phone call or if you just Google contact, you know, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, you will get a little screen that will allow you to put in a comment. The phone number to call if you'd like to contact Governor Brown's office is 503-378- Four five eight two, and uh, just to say that again, it's five zero three three seven eight four five eight two. When you leave a comment there, you want to say I'm calling about the Jordan Cove Energy Project and the proposed pipeline. Uh, I am someone who hikes and recreates and brings tourist dollars to Southern Oregon and the whole state, and I think that this pipeline is a risk to my safety while I'm out there, and I would like to see you come out against this project and and stop it before it gets put in. And if you're trying to remember the area in southern Oregon where this actually crosses the PCT, uh, if you were uh, the Green Springs Inn area, if you went by the Green Springs Inn um, around there, uh, or I know there was another another landowner that had a picnic table out with uh, you know a spigot of water there for folks to take. That's the that's the area just uh, just north of Ashland that we're we're talking about. So if you remember hitting either of those places, that's where we're talking about on the PCT. You're finally getting ready to get back on the PCT and head north. Is that right? Yes, in a couple of hours, I finally get back on the trail. <laughs> I'm really excited because I've been I've been hiking very slowly with with this yeah. group of folks <laughs> for a while, and and we've been on roads a lot. So I'm really excited to be on trail and to be going up and down mountains again. So I'll get dropped off at uh, Barlow Pass. I'm going to do three more weeks. Hopefully, make it up to Snoqualmie Pass. Nice. Not not super fast, but enjoy the turn to fall. Do you see yourself doing some more long distance hiking in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think like everybody, I've just been brainstorming all summer, right, about what I want to do. Um, you know, the trail in Colorado sounds nice, the the 500-mile um, loop that they have there. I have more interest in the AT than I did previously after talking to various through hikers that have been, uh, that have done both trails. Um, 
I've also been thinking about doing doing the desert section that I skipped, but doing it super early, maybe February and March or something sure, like right. that. That could be fun. A good time of year to do it. Yeah. Um, and I've never done any hiking or very little international travel, so part of my mind is also going there and mm-hmm. wondering what I can figure out on, on that front. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm, cool. It was fun to meet you on trail. I'm glad that we got to cross paths here in Portland. <laughs> and uh, thanks for sharing about your your hike and about uh, and the pipeline project and making myself and hopefully some other people aware about that. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and another episode comes to a close. As this episode comes out, I am officially done with my hike for the year, but I've still got a few episodes left to share of the hiking I did in Washington. It's in September. Blah, blah, blah. And another episode comes to a close. As this episode comes out, I am officially done with my hike for the year, but I've still got a few episodes left to share of the hiking I did in Washington in September and the hikers and trail angels I interviewed up there. So keep listening through the month of October to hear the rest of my adventures on the Pacific Crest Trail. Trailside Radio is now available on Stitcher, So if you're a Stitcher user, you can do me a favor by rating and reviewing this podcast there. As always, you can also find me on iTunes and most podcast apps, or simply go to the website, trailsideradio.com. Thanks for listening. This is Trailside Radio, over and out.